Just look at the fucking bums you hang around with. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. I'm your host, Christina P. I'm reaching over that soundboard. Thank you for downloading this episode. Thank you for watching me on YouTube. I have my own YouTube channel, Christina P. It's YouTube slash Christina P. I think it is now. You can watch me talk to myself. You can subscribe, and that way, when the new video drops, you can get it right away. Isn't that what the kids say when it drops? Oh my God, who am I? Uh, okay, number one, do you shop on Amazon? Please use my banner. Uh, that means you click on the little square at the bottom of every post on that's deep bro podcast. Uh, when you do your shopping, just click it. Do your shopping as you normally would. Kicks back some change to the show. Also, September uh, 22nd and 23rd, I'm in St. Louis. St. Louis tits, as we say on your mom's house. St. Louis at Helium Comedy Club. Uh, September 22nd and 23rd. Get your tickets now. That should be really fun. I'm looking forward to that one. And I have, uh, I might have some stuff coming up in the South, believe it or not. In the South. I might be doing Nashville. I might be doing um, Charleston. Um, those, are, those are cooking in, in, the, in the wings. I'm not going to announce it yet, but they, but they might be in the ethers. Uh, a little Texas, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. It, it all has to be finalized, guys. Um, what else? I don't think there's anything else I have for you. I'm usually at the comedy store Saturday nights, that early show. I love doing that early show. If you're in town, come visit the store. I mean, that is like ground zero for awesome shit right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm very excited to announce that HelloFresh is sponsoring this episode of That's Deep, Bro. I had the opportunity to try HelloFresh and I am in love. I am hooked. I am into it. I love the packaging. It comes in perfectly beautifully contained boxes every meal. All the ingredients are there for you to make. And what I like about HelloFresh, I think which sets it apart from um, any other company providing a similar service, is that they have a team of dietitians and nutritionists who meticulously go through these recipes to make sure that they are healthy. And that to me is very, very important. And, and of course, they look. HelloFresh will shop, plan, and deliver step-by-step recipes and ingredients, so you can just relax and enjoy all there is to love about cooking and eating. Um, I, I love cooking with my husband. At the end of the day, it's the one thing that we do together with baby jeans. He loves to watch. I hold him in my arms and I uh, stir ingredients, and he loves watching. And it's like something cheesy we all do. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think it's a fantastic product. Uh, Before they deliver the food to you, they outperform their food safety standards and do the nutritional nutritional label math. Like I said, they make sure it's good for you, good for their suppliers, and good for everyone involved. So HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box, a veggie box, and a family box. And that's really... um, This is what's very distinct and unique about them as well. And customers can order three, four, or five different meals per week designed for either two or four people. New recipes are created every week. Uh, They're constantly experimenting in the kitchen to let fresh natural ingredients shine. HelloFresh offers ever-changing menus, classic ingredients, and a new light and easy-to-follow recipes to help you avoid that food coma and feels good inside and out. You know, when you get takeout and you just feel gross afterwards, I don't like doing that, which is why I prefer using HelloFresh. And if you're thinking, I can't afford this, this sounds like some crazy privileged person thing. No, meals are less than $10 each. And I think if you're like a working mom or you're busy family, this is a fantastic option. Um, there you go. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone, from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. 30 minutes, you can't beat it. Fresh ingredients, can't beat it. They deliver food to your doorstep in a recyclable, insulated box for free. So now you're thinking, do I have to be home? 
do I have to be home for this thing to show up? Is that, I have to sign the dart? No, don't worry. They can leave it and then you come home and it's there. And that's the best part. You're going to absolutely love this. So get cooking with HelloFresh today. Um, okay. What can I tell you? Here's your deal. Here's your deal. Get uh, $30 off your first week of HelloFresh by visiting HelloFresh.com and enter the code BRO. 30. That's B-R-O-3-0. So 30 bucks off your first week of HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com and enter the code BRO30. Thank you, HelloFresh. Give it a try, you guys. Give it a try. Why not? What have you got to lose? Getting dressed is a drag when you've got a closet full of clothes you regret buying or have only worn once. Finally experience a wardrobe you love with Rent the Runway's unlimited subscription to everyday fashion. Enjoy the thrill of new clothes without the commitment, closet space, or buyer's remorse. 70% of unlimited members say they shop less now that they subscribe to fashion. So, what am I talking about? It's called Rent the Runway. You may have seen it um, in your local mall. I have one where I live, and I think it's such a great idea. Um, so you get an unlimited subscription to fashion that gives you access to a rotating closet filled with premium designer styles for work weekends and everything in between. So here's how it works. For a flat monthly price, you rent unlimited designer pieces on rotation. You select three pieces at a time, keep them as long as you want. When you're ready for something new, swap any of your pieces for fresh styles. If you fall in love with a style, you can buy it at an exclusive discount and keep it forever. Here's what I like. It's free shipping and the dry cleaning is free on every piece. You get the newest styles from over 450 designers like Vince, Theory, Tori Birch, uh, opening ceremony, Marnie, DVF, and more. You get a variety of pieces. You get your tops, your dresses, your pants, your skirts, your jackets, your handbags, your jewelry, and sunglasses. Browse photo reviews from members to find the right fit. Um, I think it's super easy. I think it's great if you have a special occasion coming up. Um, I had a dinner coming up that I needed a dress for, and I looked through all the dresses they have. You can go by fit, by color. I picked it. It showed up. Tried it on, fit like a dream, wore it out, had a great night, put it back in the box and sent it back. It is just that easy. Um, I say try it out, guys. Uh, our listeners, our listeners, my listeners get 25% off their first month. And here's how you get it. You visit rentherunway.com slash unlimited or download the iPhone app, enter code BRO, B-R-O, at checkout to get the 25% discount. Rent the runway.com slash unlimited. Check it out. I can't recommend it enough um, for people who need, if you need fancy clothes, don't buy it. Are you kidding me? Just rent that stuff. Rent the runway. All right. Uh, support for That's Deep Bro comes in part today from Talkspace the online therapy company. I love Talkspace. You guys have written to me, letting me know that you've tried it. You've tweeted me, letting me know that this service has helped you. Um, some of you might be in between therapists. You might live somewhere where you're not, you, you don't, maybe not physically close to a therapist, but Talkspace makes it easy to connect with a licensed therapist, handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. And that is nothing for therapy. I'm telling you. Using Talkspace, you can text, audio, and video message your therapist and talk about your life, what's keeping you up at night, or even your annoying coworker, true dad. To sign up or to learn more, go to Talkspace.com slash bro. And to show your support for this podcast, use code bro, B-R-O, to get $30 off your first month. That's code bro at Talkspace.com slash bro. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. No kidding. Give it a try. What have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose. Okay. I'm really excited to do this episode. This is one I've had cooking in my brain for a while here. It's the afternoon. Um, I got a full cup of coffee with my metal straw so as not to damage the whiteness of my veneers and my surrounding teeth. And um, all right, let's get fucking weird. Let's do it, bros.
Cheese and Porters. <laughs> it's the Emma Can. She's Emma Can. She's taking duty. She's Emma Can. There you go. Little Bauhaus, my goth roots. Um, she's in parties. I play this song and I'll explain why in a little bit um, here because I think it relates. Uh, the song is about, I think, a very famous actress, like a like a Marilyn Monroe or some kind of famous uh, actress learning lines and pretending to be very glamorous. And it's all about uh, she's in parties. She's 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 very mysterious and very perfect and beautiful, right? So that's reality, right, guys? That's how it, that's what it is to be a lady. And uh, but more on that later. Uh, big news in my neighborhood this weekend. If uh, I don't know where you live in Los Angeles, we had power outage. Power, the power went out in certain neighborhoods, and it was very scary. It was so scary. It was so. I hate it. I I hate when the power goes out. I've already called to have a backup generator installed in our house because. Back in 1994, if you lived in Los Angeles during that earthquake, man, that was a nightmare. We did not have power for uh, like a week, and then we were shitting in plastic bags because we didn't have water for a couple weeks. It was a nightmare. So after this, I, the power's gone out a few times in, my, in this new house we're in, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it, dude. I called the generator guy today, and I was like, let's do this. How much is it? A million dollars? I don't care because I hate sitting in the dark. Um, so I drove home from the comedy store on Saturday. My husband was on his way out and my baby jeans is, is sleeping there, the nanny, and I, I'm driving up my street and it's so eerie when the power is out. It is so jet black in Los Angeles, which is so bizarro because if, as you know, I mean, it's nothing but millions and millions of people living in this ridiculous urban sprawl and for something like that to happen, it's it's so the the blackness is just it's alarming, and I'm crossing the boulevard just trying to get into my house, and uh, and I I get out of my car, and the this like wall of silence just hits me, like this just wall of crickets, and I can hear I can hear insects, and I can I cannot hear the buzzing of electricity, which is so weird because it got me to thinking because I was in the house afterwards. I came in the house and it was so quiet, like quiet to the point of you don't even hear a light buzzing and you don't even think about how loud all that stuff is until it's not there. And I mean, even just having my alarm clock next to my head glaring bright all night, I don't, you don't think about it until it's gone and you're like, well, no wonder I can't sleep at night. No wonder I'm waking up every few hours. I mean, aside from the dog snoring next to my head because they're sleeping on our bed again, which I'm sure every dog trainer will tell you is a fantastic idea. Uh, you know, it's the constant humming and buzzing and, uh, and, and this is not to say like, we should go back to the days where, uh, people shit in holes and wipe their asses with leaves. And it was a better time when everybody read books by candlelight. I am not advocating some kind of little women existence where we made dolls out of corn cobs and shit. Um, I don't think their lives were great. Believe me. I, I much prefer this era of having to force myself not to look at the electric stuff. <laughs> I, I much prefer, uh, the choice. But I thought it was so funny that, as you know, I'm on the Nextdoor app, and um, one of my favorite things to do when chaos ensues in the neighborhood is to see how frantic my neighbors are. And my neighbors love to report on things like... Um, there's a black person walking around the neighborhood. That was that was my that was a fun one. Uh, there was a homeless man living by the bank recently. Um, somebody went through the trash and took out my bottles, my recyclables. I didn't give them permission. Things like that. And of course, the first thing I do, I, I can get on my next door app because the the phones are still working and. Um, and the chaos, the absolute panic of why is the power out? Does anybody know when it will return? 
Why is the power out? I called DWP and they said there's a fire at the station and they had to turn it off to work on the problem and it'll be back shortly. Well, really, because I think it's rolling blackouts. I think it's because it's too hot and everybody's running their air conditioning too much and we're being punished and they're giving rolling blackouts. Like the the um, the immediate need to theorize, conspiracy theorize that DWP is forcing blackouts to conserve energy. The speculation, the worry, the gnashing of teeth, the wailing over the loss of power for the entire hour or so that it was out. And it got me to thinking that, isn't it funny how we are positively hysterical at the state that humans were in? Um, What? Not that long ago, 100 years ago, people probably sat in the dark most nights with candles, I'm sure, gas lamp, whatever whatever horrible way they uh, read, whatever disgusting means by which they lived. I don't romanticize the past whatsoever. I, I am so thankful to be alive in 2017. This is as good as it gets. I mean, people were stoked about soap and penicillin. Um, we get shit like Botox and saltwater pools and uh, meditation classes where uh, white people can sit um, and pay to be quiet with other white people. So <laughs> I by no means romanticize this era, but I really find it interesting now that the, the state at which humans had existed for the majority of our lives, the majority of human life sat in the dark up until very recently in the long span of human existence. And now that state is unforgivable and unacceptable. And uh, what will we do? What will we do when the shit really hits the fan? I can't wait until America really has to deal with some serious shit like war and uh, or or even another earthquake where things go out and and windows break and looting ensues or riots that we had in the nineties too, because uh, people fucking lose their minds over things that are very uh, very small, very small blips. Myself included, by the way. But only because I'm I'm over these uh, these fucking blackouts, and I I lived through the earthquakes, kids. I lived through the earthquake that it, I hated sitting in the dark with my folks. And it's funny because the, the the guy that came today with the generator, he goes two weeks, two weeks until people forget about how crappy it is to have a state of emergency, and then they go back to denial, which is what most of us live in. Uh, most of us don't have earthquake kits ready to go, food that you can eat when the gas goes out and the electricity goes out, water, solar blankets, batteries, and flashlights, uh, but I do because uh, I'm neurotic. <laughs> I have an earthquake kit, kit. I've had one for years, since 94, since I lived for that horrible earthquake, so uh, mom's ready to go. And once I get that generator, uh, everything will be fine. And then I'll get some rifles and I'll practice shooting in the backyard for when the shit really goes down. (laughs) We'll have to fight for resources. I'll have to trade my jewels for leather. So there was that. Um, Yeah. What else? Oh, you know, I just had this observation I thought I would share because I'm hoping it will help. It will help some of you. Uh, so the other day I, uh, I had this thing, um, you know, I'm waiting to hear back on an important decision. And, um, and I was talking to my husband about it and I said, you know, cause this is one of those things, uh, you know, a, a life, it's nothing health really, not real. It's not a real, it's like a showbiz decision. When you wait for something in your career, uh, a yay or a nay. There are gatekeepers. There are people who make decisions that can affect the course of, of your of your career. And I'm waiting to hear back on something. And I'm saying to Tom, like, God, I, you know, I'll be so devastated if it doesn't work out or this or that. And and then I began to think about it. Well, what does that mean when one is devastated, or a, or where you're just like, oh God, if that doesn't go through, I'll be so upset. I'll be such a. I'll feel like such a failure, and it'll be so bad. It'll be so bad. And I got to thinking like, okay, something doesn't go through that you want, um, but really what's, what's the tragedy here that you didn't get what you wanted? And, and nine times out of 10, something better eventually comes along that replaces that initial thing. And you're like, oh my God, thank God I wasn't on that. Uh, that didn't happen or this thing didn't go through because something so much better lined up for me here. And 
you know, I think so many, so many, um, so many times in my life and, and in human beings are, we're so fear driven. We're so afraid of that failure. We're so afraid of even trying to do stuff because really what you're afraid of is the feelings of rejection um, the feeling of, of being a failure, the feeling that you didn't win. And ultimately, you know, I was thinking like, well, so what if this thing doesn't happen the way I want it to? Like, I'll just go on. I will go on. I'll be bummed. And that will be it. Like, that's the thing is that the only thing that will really happen is the feeling of being bummed. And that's it. And so if you're ever worrying about like, should I do this? I might get rejected. Should I do this? I might not make it. I might not win. I might not succeed. Like, okay. So what'll happen? Like you, you just won't get that thing and then you'll feel crummy for a week or two or whatever it is. You'll just feel shitty. That's the big, the big enchilada here is like, oh, I'll just, I'll feel crappy for a minute and then you'll move on with your life. Me, I'm so disgusting. And then something else will come along that you'll want, you may get, you may not get, etc., etc. It just, it just constantly, it keeps going. And that's the thing. There's never one. There's never enough pie, right? It's always. I'm drinking coffee out of my straw. There's always another piece of the pie to get upset about. There's always another thing to get um, freaked out about. So. Don't be afraid of the bad feelings is what I'm trying to say. As, as I coach myself, I, this is not to say that I am immune to that human part of us that fear, fears ego failure, um, but just know it's, uh, who gives a shit? You know, you can deal with the bad feelings, I think is what I'm trying to say. I can deal with bad feelings. We can all deal with bad feelings. Okay. I really wanted to, it's so interesting. Uh, I've... Uh, I've I've I played that Bauhaus song in the beginning. Um, you guys didn't hear it if you're listening on YouTube. She's in parties. It's about a, I guess a, an actress, a famous actress. I want to say like Jean Harlow or something. The glamorous life, the life of the perfect looking woman. Um, I've been getting a lot of emails lately from girls who have uh, body stuff happening body stuff happening. So I'm going to read this email and I feel as though this really, you know, every now and then I get an email where I'm like, oh my God, that's like the whole human race. And this isn't just you. This is, this is the human condition. This is like the, this is the, the enchilada. Okay. So this person writes in her, uh, she says, I guess I can use her name. Her first name is Sydney. Here we go. She's been listening to That's Deep Bro for two years. Thank you for listening. First time caller, long time listener. She writes, recently, I have been having what feels like the most difficult time in my life. I'm only 17 years old and I feel like I've lived for about a thousand, yet I feel like the dumbest person on the planet. I know most of my issues are related to being a hormonal teenager and the fact that I'll have to pick out a college soon to leave and grow up. I've struggled for as long as I can remember with my confidence and the way I view my body. A few weeks ago, I hung out with a guy I was interested in and he told me I was and I was unattractive to my face. And now I feel that my self-esteem has dropped once again and even lower than before. I know it's because I am overweight and I'm a bit anxious and there's a lot of things I need to fix, but at the same time I ask myself, why do I need to change at all? I know step one is going to the doctor to be properly diagnosed for whatever is going on with my metabolism and my mental health. I've been dieting for my entire life and trying the newest and most hip exercise trends, not so much anymore because I wasn't seeing results and I lost motivation, and I continue to yo-yo with my weight. I don't want a shitty doctor to tell me what I already know. Step two is therapy, but I'm afraid. I don't know where to start with looking for a proper therapist for me. My family is pretty well off, so money is not a problem, but I still just can't bring myself to do it. At the same time, I feel unworthy of everything I have. I'm a white kid who has some money. Uh, my parents aren't crazy or bad and are still together, but I just feel like a piece of shit. One of the managers that I work with has become the only person that I feel like I can talk to about real stuff. She often tells me I'm too nice and I let people walk all over me and notices my confidence issues. 
I'm struggling to find where all my confidence issues and hatred for my body and personality come from and would love the opinion of a professional comedian that has a fantastic, fantastic podcast. Very good. Okay. Okay, Sydney, first of all, um, I, I can't tell you where this stuff comes from because I don't know your, your childhood background or how you grew up or the particulars. And, and that is unfortunately where a therapist can get into that stuff with you, the root cause, which is why I always advocate therapy, guys. Uh, especially when you're looping on something and you can't seem to find a way out of a topic in your brain, that's usually because that is a deeply rooted childhood thing that you cannot undo yourself you need to see a licensed therapist to undo that and unpack all that crazy shit because you you're the mind that's in it so you can't you can't the mind that created the problem can't solve the problem right if we talk about philosophy you need to have someone objectively um, get in there and how do you do it how do you find a shrink I'm gonna say I, I'm sorry for those of you who are just like rolling your eyes right now Google uh, sliding scale, if you don't have the, the, the amount of money you need, sliding scale therapy and your zip code. It'll bring up a bunch of people. If you have health insurance, look at the providers in your, you know, go to the website for whatever it is you're on, whatever insurance, find somebody and interview them. Treat them as dates. If you like them, great. If not, next and find the right one. Go and go and go and go until you find the right one. I cannot advocate enough. So the shit I'm going to tell you is going to be very, you know, silly surface level crap that I hope will get you through (laughs) until you can find somebody that's going to really, really, really help you. But I wanted to talk about body stuff because I've been, this is not the first email that I've gotten recently and it's in the ethers. And I think a lot of it comes from summertime, right? This is the time when we are, we're forced to wear embarrassing clothing such as shorts. I fucking refuse to buy a pair of shorts. I've never liked the way my legs look in them. Um, I hate shorts. I hate tank tops. I resent all, all, all summer attire I find to be hideously unbecoming for me personally. I wear summer black is what I do. So uh, I think a lot of us are now having to shed our, our cold weather clothing and we're out there and we're noticing our bodies, I think, a bit more. So let's start with... Uh, Let's start with, okay, how do I even begin this? Here's what I'll start with. Uh, So this summer, I have a post, I have an afterbirth body, if you will. I have a mom bod. I have a loose cellulite, um, soggy, mushy, purple, nippled boobs body. I've got a mom body now because my body has miraculously grown a human and then birthed that person out. That That is the miracle that is my body. And I have a very different relationship with my body as a mother now than I, as I did as a 20-year-old girl who really, like, when I, uh, I didn't know what my body did until I used it to make a human. And then you go, wow, I can't believe how much time I spent hating my body before I used it to create the most amazing human ever that I'm in love with. And every time I look in the mirror and I want to think, oh my God, look at that. Look at that soggy thing here and that cellulite thing here. I go, yeah, but it made my son. It made Ellis. And I'm so thankful for it that it created this thing. So anyway, the point is I, I buy all my shit on Amazon. As you know, I buy these mom bathing suits that provide full coverage. And if you're a mom, you know what I'm talking about. These are the kind of slightly the retro looking mom suits, like (laughs) full hiney coverage, full boob coverage, lots of ruching fabric around the belly to cover up your flabby, flabby stomach. And uh, to, you know, to tuck in all the soggy mom bits. And, you know, I swim almost every day and, um, and every day I put on the sad mom suit. I put on the sad, you know, trying to conceal suit. And I had this epiphany the other day when I was wearing this fucking disgusting mom suit. The epiphany of, well, first of all, I have a private pool. I'm not in public. Um, and the person who looks at me the most is my husband, who doesn't give a shit that I'm soggier in places that I, I wasn't before. Um, 
And he likes my hangy mom tits. So I decided to go bathing suit shopping, which for a woman is tantamount to... It's just fucking suicide. I mean, there's nothing worse than going to a department store, trying on a suit in the lighting that is so unflattering. It's like they it's like they find a way to bring in fl- extra fluorescent lighting that highlights every cellulite, every stretch mark, every globule of fat on your body and those mirrors with the multi-angles and it's humiliating and it'll it's defeating for 99% of the female race, <clears throat> female kind. And um but I fucking did it. And you know what? I got some two pieces. I got some sexy one pieces because I don't give a shit anymore. I don't fucking care. My husband's the one that looks at me and he likes my soggy tits. So I got to show them off for him. And I'm going to wear a two piece with my belly fat hanging over it because I'm not going to, I can't conceal it anymore. Everybody knows that I'm a 41 year old mom and I don't give a fuck. And I'm going to embrace the roles and who cares? Because first of all, here's what I've learned going to, um, to gyms and going to the beach is that like, like I said, I would, I would guess 98% of us have shitty, disgusting bodies. Unless you're in Miami, like in South beach, everybody's beautiful, but everywhere else, most of us have really human, fleshy, blobular, disgusting bodies. And, you know, if you hate yourself, imagine how the person next to you feels. And I think there's like an unspoken rule when you're an adult, which is just don't look. You just don't look at the other people. I don't look at other people anymore because I'm like, I just hope they're not looking at me. You put your suit on. You don't think about how you look. You think about how you feel. You think about how much fun it is to be in the water and how much fun it is to play with your kid or your husband or your wife or whatever. And you just fucking don't care anymore. Now, I know that's easy coming from a woman who's, um, who's had a kid who's older. And I know, because when you're in your twenties, your body is like, it's everything. And that's normal. By the way, I, Wayne Dyer talks about how there's like seasons of human development. And the first season is the vanity part of your development, meaning your body centered. That's very normal. Little boys become men. They become strong. It's all about the physicality. For girls, we become women. It's all about our boobs and discovering how to either conceal them if they're enormous (laughs) or you have small boobs and you wish they were bigger and it's that whole thing, and I remember it, and I've, I've been there, dude. I'm not, a, I'm not saying that I didn't obsess over this shit when I was 20 years old, but I will say this, that the culture now isn't really conducive to making you feel normal about having a shitty body. It's, I think this whole false shit of, like, everybody's beautiful, um, you know, like having fashion shows for everyone, everybody's a model, like... To, you 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 may be you know morbidly obese and have what five heads, but you're beautiful too. Like, yeah, I don't know. Here's why: <laughs> the people that are beautiful, that are really fucking beautiful, are like point zero zero one percent of the population. These genetic freaks that are models are rare and special and that's why they're fucking models so let them be models let the beautiful people be beautiful they are rare and special and there's always somebody who's so much better looking than you that it's pointless to even think about it there's no there's nothing you can do there's always going to be that girl in high school who's the best looking one or college or wherever that all the guys want to bang and that, you know, life is seemingly perfect for. But I guarantee you this, A, her life is not perfect because she's a human and she probably has a lot of the same bullshit drama you do. B, a lot of these girls that are supposedly perfect and thin, uh, a lot of them really work hard at being thin. Some don't. Some of these freaks are like, I can eat what I want. And I said, yeah, okay. And then um, there are people who work really hard at being attractive, um, you don't think the whole fucking Kardashian clan spends 
I don't know how much money on liposuction and 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 uh, surgery. And I remember what happened to Kylie Jenner. Like one day she was a normal teenager, and then the next day she was all lips and tits. And and you're like, wait, what? Who? You didn't look like that because it's it isn't natural, and it takes a lot of work to be um, to be perfect. It's at least fuck at least for me. Uh, it, it would be a full-time job of watching what I ate, exercising every day, being perfect and getting surgery and blah. And to me, that that's a waste of human existence. It's a waste of life to be so focused on the external. Because here's the thing. All these hot girls that you're looking at, comparing yourself to, feeling badly about, all these women, one day will turn 40 <laughs> or 35 or whatever the age is that they will start to freak the fuck out because society and not so much yeah society but more more um com- commodification of youth more the ability to sell you youth it's really the commercialism of our country and our culture um that fetishizes youth and youth is really a short amount of your life. You're really older more of your life than you are young because youth ends at what, 30, I would say, 30, and now you're an adult. So you get 30 years of being young and then you get, I don't know, however, 60, let's say 50 years of fucking being old like everybody else. (laughs) So really enjoy how you look today, no matter where you're at. If you're 17, This is as young as you're ever going to look today. Today, all of us listening, this is the best you're ever going to look right now. This is as good as it it gets until tomorrow and then you get a day older. But I think the culture of, uh, back to my point, being the culture of everybody's a model, everybody's special, everybody's pretty, is damaging because, no, boo-boo, not everybody is uh, beautiful. Not everybody is special. Um, that way, not everybody is 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 attractive, and that's okay. You don't have to be. Let those people just be models. I don't know if you. I remember. Um, I don't know if they even John Hughes movies were really great at addressing this this thing. Like, have you ever have you ever watched that movie Sixteen Candles? Molly Ringwald plays a girl who wakes up. And she's, she turns 16 and her family forgets her birthday and she looks in the mirror and she's like, oh, I still have, you know, I have no boobs. I have no boyfriend. Um, I have this horrible little brother. My family forgot my birthday. Everything sucks. And she's in love with Jake Ryan, who's like obviously 28 years old, who they cast to play, what, a 17-year-old? I mean, the guy, <laughs> the guy is nowhere near 17. He's hot as shit. But anyway... So his girlfriend, of course, is like the hot, uh, what's her name? Caroline? Carolyn? Carolyn. She's like the hot blonde girl with the perfect bod. And the movie, it addresses Molly Ringwald's thing of like, God, everyone loves Carolyn, this girl who's so perfect. Jake Ryan's in love with her. Everyone's in love with Carolyn. Yeah, because she's like the hot girl. And the movie doesn't attempt to make Molly Ringwald different. <laughs> it doesn't go... Well, uh, you know, you're just as beautiful too. No, there's no, there's no moment where Molly Ringwald gets the transformative uh, thing of like, you're beautiful. No, what happens is she accepts the fact that she's a flat-chested, 16-year-old, uh, middle-class girl with a, a Chinese guy sleeping in her bed and a shithead brother. And like, all, all it is is like the acceptance of what is. And now, okay, so in the movie... Jake Ryan somehow falls in love with Molly Ringwald. Yeah, right. Because he thinks it's cool that she's staring at him all the time in class. And she he intercepts a note or something about how much she likes him. This bullshit, but whatever. And he dumps Caroline because she gets drunk uh, and like trashes his house. So the point is that the attractive girl has dog shit insides. But he ends up going for Molly Ringwald, who's a good person in and out, who loans her underwear to a geeky kid, blah, 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 whatever. But there was never the idea of like... Uh, you know, you're wonderful. It, it, it was just like, you know what? Yeah, sometimes life gives you this deck of cards and you just do the best you can with them. <laughs> there's there's no fairy godmother in that story. Like she's still a skinny, dorky sophomore in high school and there's just nothing you can do about it. Um, okay, but for you, listen, 
You're freaking the fuck out, girl. It, it, it sounds like you're freaking out. And that's normal. You're 17. You're about to go to college. You're about to become uh, an, an adult. And that's possibly one of the most anxiety-filled times in a young person's life is where do I go to college? What do I do? Who will I be? Um, and don't die as a teenager. That's got to be bad for you, isn't it? Won't that stunt your growth or some shit? I don't fucking know. Um, okay, so and, and okay, so here's the point is also you say that you were interested in a guy who told you you were unattractive to your face. Okay, I, I mean, that guy sounds like a fucking turd. Don't go for the guy that's going to say that shit to you. And if he says that stuff to you, it's more about what's wrong with him, not what's wrong with you. And I know it's hard to to feel that way when someone says something shitty to you, but this, that kid sounds evil, dude. It, it, that's about him. That ain't about you. Um, okay. What? Do you need to change it all? Probably not. I know what you're asking. <laughs> uh you're so funny. You're trying to find where I kind of hear your name or something. Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of this shit is just being 17. Um, you just have to accept the fact that your body is never going to be perfect. And I don't, I don't know that. I don't know why they don't teach you that in school. Like, Hey, look, you're never going to love this fucking piece of shit vessel that you came into the earth. And especially for us women, it's like, it's just built into you to hate yourself a little bit. I think you just have to embrace the fact that, or, or just be thankful for the fact that you may hate the way your legs look, which I, I do, but guess what? They work and I can walk and I can run. Um, I don't like how my boobs look, but those boobs fed my kid and uh, my body is trashed, but it, it's done miraculous things. So I don't know if that helps you any, but um yeah, I think it's it's more about reframing all of the stuff. Uh, there's this thing I heard Dr. Laura say once about looks, and she said in the world that you are better than some and worse than others, which is kind of true. Like there's just a range of humans, and you're going to be better than some, worse than others. <laughs> and isn't that what's wrong with the whole culture of everyone's special and everyone's a winner and everyone's perfect? I think that's the problem with this stupid self, uh, everybody having so much self-esteem. And then, the, you know, and you shouldn't feel great about yourself. You're fucking 17 years old. You know how you feel good about yourself? It's not by just existing, unfortunately. And I wish that were the case. And that's what the self-help movement tried to do is make us all feel like snowflakes for just existing. But that's not how humans are wired. You know how you make yourself feel better? You go to college, you pick a major that you love, and you get really good at it and you get A's and you get on the fucking honor roll and you get a job or an internship that you enjoy and you kill that and then you make killer friends and then you start to feel confident because of your accomplishments, because of what you're doing of what you're giving back. Yeah. And then you study abroad your junior year and you go make out with some Italian dudes or, or wherever, you, Spain, and you make something of yourself. And don't worry so much about the package that it came in. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, you're going to get old and fat anyways. Who gives a shit? It's not worth it to get too hung up on the on the shell you came into the earth. Uh, the shell. That's what I'm trying to say. Because it all fucking goes downhill. Get good. Get smart. And then the guys will come. Trust me. I've seen so many bitches who are may not... They're not like the model types... But guys like them because of confidence. That's so much more attractive. And by the way, I think what happens with dudes is later on they realize that the model looking, the good, the really good looking girls, a lot of times their insides are dog shit because they've been overly validated. And they also realize that there's a price to pay. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's so fucking, meaning like that girl probably wants a lot more than you can give her. <laughs> financially or or who knows I mean look at Melania and Donald god damn there's so much hatred between those two and you know that clearly is an arrangement of like look I'm hot I'm model you know it's the sugar daddy thing that bitch does not want to be first lady <laughs> she was like this is not what I signed up for dude that's, that's a whole different arrangement you know if you want to live that kind of life ain't worth it Ain't worth it. Okay. 
By the way, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of pretty girls are fucking dog shit on the inside. Don't we all know that? And a lot of the good-looking guys too. They're fucking dog shit on the inside. That's why I always, I always like the weird dudes. I don't think I've ever had like a modely guy. I think they're fucking disgusting. I mean, not disgusting. Just I don't know. I've never met one with good insides. Okay. <laughs> this guy writes into. I'm a 26 year old male. Pronoun is the traditional masculine living in New York City, trying to figure out how to get my life. I have a pretty good job in finance, and although it isn't exactly what I want to do, it is surely a good stepping stone to get to a point where I can get actual job satisfaction. At least I hope it is. I currently get no satisfaction out of my job, but I know I need to build up my resume and knowledge of finance and how it works before I can feel comfortable helping to educate regular people who don't know dick about finance or how on how they can be sure they aren't getting fucked is I think this is what I'd like to do. However, due to an itch to be creative, I could also see myself ending up being one of those cliche guys who quits his high paying job to travel the world in his 40s. Also, I have had an itch to consistently go to open mics for stand up have debated starting a blog that's basically an open journal and I've started learning how to play the drums. I love stand-up, numbers, economics, music, and writing and not sure how to apply these all to a career or a calling. Also, my job isn't that bad and my life is pretty cool. So at this point, I don't foresee any tipping point occurring. Another thing, I'm single and have been for like nine years, my entire adult life, which is getting a tad old. I'm thankful I didn't end up in a shitty relationship for four years that I later regret and also, I'm very thankful I am now so comfortable being alone that I don't think I will ever feel the need to stay in a toxic relationship for fear of being alone. People always tell me to just keep grinding at my job and to listen to my gut, and no one in their 20s has anything figured out. For relationship advice, I get the broken record of, you're young, and the mind-numbing cliche, when you know, you know. And people always mention how in their 20s they were so unstable and not ready for a relationship. So my question, what the fuck do I do with this advice? Do I just wait for my gut to start talking to me? Because as of late, my gut hasn't been too vocal on giving me career advice. And how do I fully commit to a relationship or even entertain a relationship when everyone tells me their relationships in their 20s suck due to immaturity? Do I just go for it knowing it won't work out? That seems like a recipe for disaster. I guess to summarize... Now that I'm aware of how chaotic being in my 20s is going to be, how do I manage the chaos? Like, why attempt to get my life if I know I'm not mature enough to get it? And how do I take myself seriously at all if I'm aware of the fact that I don't know shit? (laughs) You got, man, that is a, you're so, and by the way, the subject is hilarious. It's how do you cope with knowing you're a retarded asshole in your 20s? Dude, your twenties. This is this is what it is, man. You're in it. You're just in it, bro. And it sounds like you're looking for perfection. Should you get into a relationship in your twenties, even though you know you're just a retarded twenty year old? If you know it's just going to end, yeah. Should I be a finance guy by day and then try stand up at night, even though I don't want to be a full time stand up comedian or a full time finance guy? Yeah. Do I start a journal blog, even though I don't want to be a full time blogger? Yeah. Do it all because now's the time to do that shit. You got your nine to five and when your nine to five is done, go to a comedy club, give it a shot. You've got nothing but time. You don't have a family. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have all these things. So this is what it's for to go out there and live. And a lot of times I think people get caught up in the preparation for a life, right? Like if I do all my homework and if I get my ducks in a row, then I'll start living, and you're going to miss out. The, in the meantime, you're missing out. And I think that, and I, and I know because like I've fucking been there, the inclination to like, I'll do this when I'm perfect. I'll start this thing when I figured it all out, when I'm more mature, when I'm this, when I'm X, when I'm Z. And that's just not how it works, boo-boos. You go, you do the thing, you make the mistakes, and then you just change leads, right? Like when you're riding a horse, change leads. You just go down a different direction. It's not that serious. Like, You can just change directions. You know when you get lost on GPS and it reroutes you? That's what happens. So yeah, get into relationships. Get into bad relationships. Get into messy relationships so you learn what not to do next time. That's the whole point of your 20s is to make mistakes, to actively fail. And I think this is what's wrong with the this generation. And I'm not blaming you guys, uh, millennials. This is because your parents wanted to protect you from everything. I think the intention is ultimately good. 
but the whole everybody is a snowflake and we're all special and we're all wonderful just because is not true. It is not true. It didn't work. The self-help movement didn't work that way because you're not... Uh, you don't feel good about yourself until you do things, until you try things. And that unfortunately includes failure. And so, so many people are so afraid of failing and being told no and the rejection of asking girls out who aren't going to say yes and the rejection of stand-up and the rejection of doing a blog. and the re- that You're going to be in preparation mode forever and you're never going to try these things. And before you know it, you're in your 30s and now you're the weird single guy who's never had a girlfriend. And now the pressure gets weirder because it's harder to break older habits. So, I mean... I would say that it's already getting, something's wrong, right? It doesn't feel good to you. You're getting stuck. You're in the inertia of, uh, I know that I'm a fucking asshole. I shouldn't do anything then, right? No. No. You're still going to move forward feeling fucked up. That's That's the thing I've learned in life is that you're never ready to do things really You're never going to be perfectly emotionally prepared to do the things you want to do. You just do it in spite of, with, in, in, in congruence with feeling depressed, anxious, whatever, inadequate. I don't know. And I get, I, at least in show business, I see people who are really successful who also really fucking hate themselves, who are also really insecure on the inside, but it manifests as a, as a personality disorder and they look super confident and they're just not. They're actually really fucking self-loathing and they feel like pieces of shit, but they bark a lot and people notice it and uh, uh, look at me, look at me, look at me, but it's fucking bullshit. So, uh, you, you know, the, some of your favorite people have been really depressed and anxious and scared and they did it anyways. That's the whole point. So do it all. Go do stand-up comedy for fuck's sake. Okay, and I get so many fucking emails. I'm going to spend the last few minutes here. Feel free to tune out now if you don't want to know how to become a comic. Uh, This is going to be for all the people that have ever asked me how to become a stand-up comedian. I'm just going to do it very quickly. I I never want to talk about... uh... Okay, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Um, There's a lot of ways, but the, the the truth of it is... I would say, and if you're interested in doing anything in life, what's the first step? Collect information. So if you want to be a comic, a stand-up comedian, or whatever, watch videos of people you like. And there's this wonderful thing called the internet now on YouTube where you can Google every comedian that's like ever existed now. It's all there. It wasn't like that back in my, back in my day. <laughs> we actually had to find VHS tapes of people. Uh, this morning, I watched Sam Kinison. And uh, uh, 1984, uh, just fucking kill it. And I was like, oh, I love Sam Kinison. So um, Google, and, and don't just look at what's happening now. I think that that's like fucking whatever. Look at the past, look at the present, look at the future, whatever. See what you like. Um, I know a lot of comedians don't believe in comedy classes. I'm not going to completely go against them. I think they're fine. I think the I think you should learn the rules of how to write a joke. Learn how to learn the structure so that you can make it your own later. Is what I'm trying to say. I always believe in learning the rules and then breaking them later. Take a comedy class, yes, but then don't stay stuck in comedy classes. That's that's my point. Take it once and then be done with it. Just so that you learn basics. Right? There's lots of little things in stand-up that can take you four fucking years to learn. Uh, little stuff like when you get on stage, you take the mic out of the stand, put the stand behind you or next to you, or put the stand away. That shit alone will take you fucking four years. So if you take a class, then you kind of learn all these little ins and outs and the etiquette of stand-up. Because there's, there's a lot of etiquette that you must learn before you go into the clubs. Okay, so let's say you've done your research. Uh, You say to yourself, I like this guy. I like this girl. I like how this person writes this. Then go to open mics. Google it in your neighborhood. Open mic night. And But actually, first go to a real club as, as an audience member. Go to the real clubs. Watch what the headliners are doing, the professionals are doing now. Watch them. See how they do it. And then go to an open mic. Do your first three minutes. Write your first three minutes. But before you get up and talk, I would say write your three minutes of material. Don't get heady and don't try to write 30 or 15 or... No, no, no. Just like three minutes of jokes. Write your first three. Practice your first three. Rehearse in the mirror. I used to do this... uh, Back when I started stand-up, I used to practice my joke 
telling in the mirror. Say it out loud. Write it on your hand. I used to write my set list on my hand. I was so nervous. Um, uh, for me, even now, a good memorization trick is to write the whole joke out. If I can't get the thing right, I just I write it out. I write it out. Memorize your shit before you go re- per, uh, perform it, and then uh, and then keep doing that. <laughs> Do open mics. Get to know the other people who want to become comedians too. They're they're your friends. Those will be your buddies. Your buddies in the trenches for the next 15, 20 years. Everybody I'm friends with. Everybody the man I married, I met at an open mic uh, a million years ago. All my friends I met at open mics. Um, all the people that are now the comedians uh, some of you listen to are douchebags I met at an open mic when we were like 25 years old. Uh, so those are your peers. Don't be shitty to them. And it, it is hard. Look, the open mic circuit is probably the hardest part of your career. It is the the shittiest part because you guys are all insecure and you're just trying to learn how to be a comic and everybody's really competitive because they're insecure. That's all that is. Don't let it get to you. Just keep doing your thing. Eventually, when you get decent enough to perform in front of a real audience, you may do what's called a bringer show where the booker makes you bring a few people. You'll do a few of those. You'll bring your friends. They'll get burned out. They'll hate watching your shit after a while. But I think, I don't know if they still do it that way. Um, And then eventually you do booked shows and then, you know, Bob is your uncle. But, uh there's a lot of books about stand-up comedy. I think Gene, did Gene Parent write one? There's a lot of books on stand-up comedy. I would read them all. I would read them all just to get the information. I would, I would watch a lot of stand-up. And then the key is to just write and then fail a lot. And, um, and honestly, and I, and I don't say this to discourage anybody who wants to be a comic, um, but I really, I really believe this, that if you want to be a stand-up comedian, you have to love not only the adulation of the crowd, and I, I think that's such a mischaracterization of comedians that we only love the, uh, the, the adulation part of it, because that's great. Obviously, who doesn't like being applauded? But you have to love um, eating shit. You have to be, you have to be a little bit self-loathing, Okay. Uh, to some extent to do this business because the attrition rate is very high. I would say of all the people I started with, there's only a handful that are still doing it. And secondly, you're going to get beaten up for the first few years pretty fucking hard. You're going to be told no a lot. You're going to... And once you're told yes and you get into those rooms, you're going to eat shit. Uh, You're going to eat shit in some room in Omaha or whatever and you're going to feel like crap. And um, you're going to feel like crap a lot too. So know that that's part of the game. Again, not to discourage, but just to manage expectations of anybody wanting to be a comic. But I think, uh, you know, and I, and I always see young comics trying to get ahead faster. That's always the thing of like, well, how do I get this next? How do I become a feature? How do I become a headliner? How do I get into this club? How do I, how do I, how do I? And that's good. That's great that you want to get to that next level. But... I don't know. I've seen it work a few ways that you don't want to get into the room until you're ready to be there because otherwise first impressions are very lasting and you make a bad first impression. It's really hard to undo. You'd rather have people saying how fucking funny you are and you have to see this person than you know, you get in the room and then you eat shit and then you're always trying to undo that reputation. I don't know, dude. (laughs) It's so crazy. Oh, and I think the biggest thing I would say to anybody who wants to be a standup is, uh, and say what's in your heart. I think the first, and that's the hardest part is finding your voice. That's what's called finding your voice, right? Is, uh, is that you're going to, the first few years, you're not really even you. You're just like pretending to be a comedian. <laughs> but then one day you'll just get so sick and tired of doing that, that you'll break down and you'll be in some fucking shit town on the road somewhere with the smell of nachos in the air. And you'll just be like, I can't, I can't fake it anymore. And then you'll say crazy shit that's really in your heart. And that's when you'll be funny. <laughs> takes a while. It takes a few years. But like, I remember fucking uh, doing these early runs. Like the first time I ever featured, I did what's called a triple run. I'm sure they still exist. <clears throat> Where you go do these like really tough trucker 
trucker bars or like uh, biker bars. Yeah, not trucker bar, biker bars. And uh, they're all in like Montana and Idaho and like Lewis and Idaho and paper mills. And you can smell uh, the stench of paper mill in the air. And um, like I remember bombing so fucking hard in one of these towns. I, I was doing a clan town. It was a former clan town. And I know this because I was talking to the the chef who was a black dude. And I was like, you're like the only black person here, huh? He's like, yeah, well, this is a clan town. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he goes, well, I, I live like 70 miles from here, but I drive in to work. <laughs> so I get up on stage and all these people... And I go, hey, what do you guys like to do for fun around here besides drag minorities behind your trucks? <laughs> Silence, a bottle thrown at the stage, and, and that was it. And the headliner just sweating, panicking, looking at me on the side of the stage like, oh, come on, come down, get down, get down, get down. Uh, so I lasted about 30 seconds, and then she had to go up and rescue the ship, and she did. She did a really good job, and I'm thankful there's stuff like that. There's uh, <laughs> there's stuff like women getting punched out in bars and then they call your name to get up and perform. There's a lot of dark shit too. Yeah, there's a lot of dark shit. You have to have a little darkness in you. It ain't all it ain't all light and stand up. Go figure. Anyway, uh, that's it. Follow your dreams. <laughs> that's the thing about follow your dreams. No one tells you is that like. You have to follow your dreams, but just know that your the path is always uh, the path isn't always straight, and it's not gonna feel great all the time. Life doesn't doesn't work that way, and don't look for happiness. That's like the worst thing you can do. It's the searching for happiness is what makes you miserable. Accept what's happening now. Accept the suffering. I think that's why I like stand up, and that's what kept me in this fucking dog shit industry for you know fourteen years. Is I like the pain. It's the pain that I was willing to endure. I loved the suffering of stand-up. I loved the isolation of the road. I loved the... And I mean this in a dark, like, fucking primal. I don't always love it, but I liked the struggle that I had to suffer to get the results. You know what I mean? So I think you have to pick something in life that you enjoy the struggle of. It's like you have to pay the bill, right? You always got to pay the bill. So you may as well choose the bill that you are comfortable paying. So it's like, I would rather take the suffering of the biker bar and having bottles thrown at me and watching Samoans punch out women in bars than go to a fucking day job and like know that my life would just be that cubicle for the rest of my life. I'd rather take the risk of like crying in alleyways after bad sets for years and years and to me, that, was, that wasn't suffering. That was worth it. That was like a path to a different life. It was, really, it was really simple, you know? It was like, it was either suffer there or like I said, go back doing a job that I knew would, I wasn't really suited for, you know? So you just choose your, you choose your suffering, dudes. <laughs> you do, you kind of, you kind, even, even marriage, parenthood, all that shit that's idealized, like there's bad days, there's bad moments and then whatever, it's the ebb and the flow. It's the... It's not always roses. Happiness all the time is ridiculous. So there you go. That's all I got. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. You can email me. That's deepbropodcast at gmail.com. KIT, have a rad summer. If you're a millennial, you have no fucking idea probably what that reference is, but that's okay. I'm going to leave it at that. So KIT, have a rad summer. Um, You are too good to be forgotten. So I will see you. Um, I'll see you and I will smell you later. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with. Philosophize with. Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's deep, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? 
Ouais. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.